Glad you're here. I am so excited that my wife, Becky, is going to be speaking here this morning. She has chosen a fascinating character from the Bible to use for Mother's Day. But let me just tell you a little bit because it's, you know, I am married to what I believe is the most wonderful woman in the world. And I'm absolutely 100% correct on that. So just putting that out there. But I was reflecting early this morning, giving God thanks for Becky. And honey, I can, we see pictures of children that your influence is why they were not aborted. We see pictures of children that are now grown up and married that we were able to help them, their their adopted parents find their home and, and they're married today. I look at all of the contributions that you've made around the world and in other countries and the influence that you've had, especially in missions and in the church and then at a general council and district council level within our fellowship. I am just so glad that I get to do life with you. And I am so grateful to hear you say in the first service this morning that it was okay if we just kind of grilled hot dogs today. You made my life so much easier, but I promise you we'll do better than that. Would you welcome my wife as she comes to preach the word this morning? God bless you. Well, good morning and happy Mother's Day. I hope you ladies have a very relaxing day and you don't have to cook or clean or any of those things. I told them for a service, peanut butter and jelly is fine as long as I don't have to make it. Today is that one day we just go, okay, I'm off today. So I hope you have a very relaxing and enjoyable moment. Those of you that know me know that uh, Mother's Day for me for was a very difficult day because for 10 years we were childless and I wanted children more than anything on the planet. And Mother's Day was kind of bittersweet because I wanted to honor my mom and my mother-in-law who are great ladies, but, you know, there was that emptiness in my heart. So if you are facing this Mother's Day and there's maybe a twinge of emptiness there, maybe because you've lost your mother or because of, of expectations that you have, then I just pray today that you would know a love and an embrace, and I'm going to send you a virtual hug today just to say, Happy Mother's Day to you too. Well, we had great day yesterday. We had our sisterhood garden party out on the front parking lot. We had over 90 ladies here. Uh, we just uh, uh, grabbed our blankets and went on outside anyway and enjoyed the day. Great food. I have to take a moment to say thank you to Maggie, um, who just did an amazing job with our menu yesterday, and my leadership team, who just did fantastic. I just give them an idea, or we collaborate on an idea, and they take it and run with it. So I am so thankful. And then to all the men who showed up to do the tough stuff for us, like moving tents and risers and chairs and tables. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It was a wonderful day. We're going to talk today, we're going to take a look at an account in the book of John of a very special lady. You see, this woman, she had looked for love at all the wrong places. She had looked for love and had looked for a perfect love and had not found it. So let's talk about today what her life looked like, what her expectations were, and an amazing encounter that she had with perfect love. 
What does it look like to come face to face with perfect love? You know, when we think about perfect love, we automatically think of a mother's love. We think of that look in a baby's eyes when they gaze up at their mom. We look at that look on the mom's face as she gazes into the eyes of her children, and we think, surely that's perfect love. But you and I both know that there have been examples of a mother's love that was imperfect, a mother's love that abandoned a mother that should have been giving love and instead gave abuse, a mother's love that should have been there that wasn't. A couple of weeks ago, Amy and I got to the church about 8 o'clock in the morning, and there was a baby car seat on the front door of the church, and it was pushed all the way up against the door. Well, I got excited. I thought somebody brought me a baby, Pastor Corey, but uh, we jumped out of the car. I mean, because it's happened, things like that happen. So we jumped out of the car, and Bill was even out there checking the bushes just to be sure there wasn't a toddler scooting around somewhere that somebody had abandoned. Well, I was glad it wasn't. But, you know, there are times that we look and we see what should have been love, and it didn't turn out that way. So what does God say about perfect love? Jeremiah 31, God describes his love for us. He says, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love. With unfailing love, I have drawn you to myself. What does perfect love look like? Perfect love is everlasting. God even says that his love is unfailing. But I love this part about God's love. God says, I have drawn you to myself. You know, we think of love as reaching out, that I'm going to have to reach out and take love. But God says to us from the very beginning, I have loved you, and I reach out to draw you in. Perfect love waits patiently even when exhausted. Now, every mother in the room can relate to that, right? We've had those moments that we are like totally wiped out, totally exhausted, totally tired, but we have to respond with patience. Well, Jesus, this is one of my comfort verses. Jesus had told his disciples, we're going on a trip. We're going to start this ministry. We're going to go and minister, but on the way, we're going to take a detour. We're going to go through Samaria. Now, this was totally unexpected because Samaria is not where the Jewish people went for a good weekend. Samaria is not someplace where they said, hey, let's take a few days off and run over to Samaria. Samaria was a place where the Jews avoided. Samaria was a place where there was no interaction because there was not a good relationship there. But Jesus took his disciples on a little side trip. And evidently, it was a taxing journey because John chapter 4 verse said, Jesus, tired from his long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. What did this perfect love look like. Jesus was tired. It was a time when he could have said, guys, let's just go get a hotel room and we'll, we'll hang out for a couple of days and rest. I'm tired. But instead, he waited. Now, the disciples, I'm sorry, guys, but, you know, when you go through the Scripture, these guys were always forgetting the food. I mean, they have 5,000 people show up, and they look around and go, uh, what are we going to feed them? 
They have a multitude show up, and it's like, oh, not only do we not have enough to feed them, we don't have enough money to go buy food to feed them. They were always forgetting. And even one time the Scripture says that they were whispering among themselves because they didn't want Jesus to hear that, you know what, we forgot the food again. And that's what happened in this instant. They got to Samaria, and Jesus is tired. He's weary. He's hungry. And they look at each other and go, um, we don't have any food. <laughs> we ate it all up on the road. So Jesus sent them to go get food. But you know, I think it was so much deeper than that. I think it was so much more because Jesus had a planned appointment and moment in time that he was just waiting. Now, noon was not the time that the women would have come to the well. The women would have come early in the morning when it was still cool and drawn water for the day. They would have come as a group and shared the responsibility and the work of getting the water out of the well and getting it back to the city. But Jesus was there at the noon hour for a very special reason. He was waiting on one woman who had been on a search all of her life for a perfect love. She had looked for love. She had looked for love in the traditional way. She had looked for love in marriage and didn't find it there. As a matter of fact, she tried it five times and still didn't find love. Well, that didn't work out, so Maybe we'll just have a significant other. We'll have a relationship without commitment. And uh, she didn't find perfect love there either. She didn't find acceptance in her peer group. She didn't find those around her that encouraged her or uplifted her. We don't even know her name. The scripture just refers to her as the Samaritan woman or the woman at the well. But yet the impact she had on her whole community when she had an encounter with perfect love. Perfect love has a bigger perspective than anything we can think of. Perfect love has a perspective that goes beyond the natural, that goes beyond that longing in our heart to find that kind of love that we imagine. Perfect love has a bigger perspective and Jesus brought to this encounter a perspective that she was not prepared for. I'm sure she thought this would just be a normal day of going out to the well in the heat of the day, bringing about water by herself. If I can't do it, I'll just do it by myself. And instead, she had a face-to-face -face encounter with perfect love. That perspective that when Jesus asked her, can you give me a drink of water? And we're going to talk in a minute about her reaction. But just in that moment, her perspective of, was in the moment. But Jesus' perspective was of something much broader. And he said to her, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you were speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. That's John chapter 4, verse 10. Now, this was a 
thought that probably had never even crossed her mind. What is living water? We sang about it just a few moments ago. Living hope. What is that? What does that mean? What does that look like? Jesus took that moment to turn her perspective from her situation and the immediate to something much broader and begin to open her eyes to what God's perspective of perfect love was. You see, we look at situation with a very narrow vision. We look at situations with blinders. We look and we can only see the immediate. We can only see the problem. We can only see the things directly in front of us. But God says, in this moment, I'm going to wait patiently so that I can help you move those blinders to see the whole picture of what I have planned is so much greater than anything you could imagine. Well, this woman did exactly what we do in those moments that, you know, if you've been hurt, and especially if you've been hurt in love, and you think something else is coming at you, the first thing we do is throw up barriers. We throw them, oh, wait a minute, I've been here before. I'm not going to let you hurt me. I'm going to guard my heart because I've put myself out there, and I'm not going to let someone else hurt me. But Jesus, in her patience, in his patience, let her throw up any barrier that would have come between God and herself. And every time she threw up a barrier, Jesus used it as a stepping stone to move one step closer to her heart. Every time she threw up a reason why we can't have this conversation, Jesus just very, very gently stepped in closer to her heart. We throw up those barriers. Jesus said, can you give me a drink of water? And the first thing she threw up was culture. Wait a minute. You're a Jew and you're asking me a Samaritan for water? You're asking me, our cultures don't get along. We don't like each other. How could you even ask me for water? She threw up the gender thing. Jesus asked for water, and she said, why would you ask me, a Samaritan and a woman, to give you something? And I'm sure in her mind she thought, okay, here's a man one more time wants something from me, is asking something for me. And I'm just going to, you know, stop this right now. I don't want to have this conversation. And Jesus just very gently keeps easing in. She threw up the practicality. Jesus said, you know, if you ask me, I would give you living water. Well, she couldn't even begin to comprehend what he was talking about. So she did what we do. We throw up the practical. How can you give me water? You don't have a rope. You don't have anything to get water out of this well with. You, How are you going to give me water? I'm the one with all the tools. I love Bob Saunders. I call him. I send him messages. And every time we change this stage up, I'm sending him messages going, Hey, Bob, can we do this? Can we make that? And Bob is my practical 
side of my creativity. He's like, well, yes, we can do it, but we got to have this. we got to have that. we got to have something to anchor it to the wall. I used to love Pastor AJ because I'd go, hey, AJ, I have an idea. And he'd go, "Ah, what's this going to cost me? All right, what do you want to do now? And I would begin to tell him, and he'd be like, okay, we can make that happen, but it's not going to be easy. He was my practical side of my creativity. And this woman is looking at Jesus going, what do you mean you're going to give me water? You can't even get down to where the water is to give me anything. But as Jesus continued to talk, he said something that sparked her interest. He said, if I give you water to drink, you will never thirst again. Hey, self-preservation kicked in. I will never have to be thirsty again. We're in the desert. I get thirsty. I'll never thirst again. I don't ever have to come back to this well again in the heat of the day and draw out water by myself. Hey, I'm in it for that. And don't we do that with God? We look at things that the Bible says and we go, hey, I like that part. I want that. It's the sacrifice part. I'd skip that page. It's the giving of myself part. Let's skip that part. It's like the man that got to the altar and the minister said, do you take this woman to be your wife for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, till death do you part? And he goes, yes, no, yes, no, no, yes, no. We don't get to pick and choose. This woman heard something was like, hey, I'll take that part, but I don't know about the rest of it. But Jesus in her, his patience kept drawing her into this conversation. Well, nothing else worked, so let's throw up religion. I mean, that's a pretty good, if you want to isolate people and you want to separate each other, let's talk religion. And she said, hey, wait a minute. You Jews, let's isolate each other even more. You Jews, you say we have to worship in Jerusalem. And our forefathers, our ancestors worshiped here on this mountain. So who are you to tell me where I can worship and where I can't worship? Well, rather than get sucked into the conversation, Jesus simply responds, you know what? There's going to come a day when this is not even an issue. It's not going to be, do we worship in Jerusalem? Do we worship here? Do we worship on this, this mountain, in this temple, in that tabernacle, in this church? There's coming a time where we're going to worship from our hearts in spirit and in truth. Jesus took every barrier that she threw up and made it a stepping stone to her heart. One writer said it like this, Whatever lies before me is not blocking my next step. It is my next step. God was giving her stepping stones that she could walk from where her perspective was to something even greater than Jesus had. Well, you know, you would think this would be the moment. This would be the time that Jesus would just swoop in and begin to tell her all the great things. But I love the way Jesus dealt with the situation. You see, Jesus doesn't mind the tough questions. Jesus doesn't mind dealing with the difficult. Jesus, at that moment, put her his finger on the most sensitive part of her heart, the thing that hurt her the deepest. 
the thing that had brought her isolation from her community. Jesus said, hey, before we go any further, why don't you go get your husband and we'll continue this conversation? And she looked at him and she said, well, actually, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, yes, you spoke truth. You spoke truthfully. You don't have a husband. Actually, you've had five husbands. And the one you're living with now, you're not married to. You certainly spoke the truth. That would have been a, one of those situations that's like, oh, let's just avoid the conflict. Let's just avoid, you know, getting into a real sensitive area. But it was that moment that Jesus put his finger on the place in her heart that was the most sensitive that she began to realize, wait a minute, there's something else besides a drink of water going on here. You see, perfect love does not ignore the truth. When my kids were growing up and they would have to say to their brother or their sister, I'm sorry. I would never let the other child respond, it's okay. Because if it was okay, we wouldn't be apologizing. It's not okay. What you say is, I forgive you. And how many of you know it's a lot easier to say it's okay than it is to say, I forgive you? Boy, those can be tough words to get out of our mouth because we really want to say, you know, they're my Legos in the first place, and you took all of my Legos, and you broke apart what I've been working on for days, and, and you know, I'm not sure I want to forgive you. But it wasn't a good teaching moment. It wasn't a good life skill to learn to avoid the conflict and just say, it's okay. It's not okay but it's something much deeper to say, I forgive you. And it was in that moment when Jesus brought up something very sensitive to her. You see, if that had come from someone in her community, someone in her uh, town, she would have not been surprised in the least because everybody knew this woman. Everybody knew her life. Everybody had, you know, just chosen to keep her at arm's length. They didn't want anything to do with her. That's why she was at the well in the middle of the day by herself. But Jesus didn't respond that way to her. And it was shocking for her to hear coming from a total stranger from a different culture, a different life, a different religion, a different gender, a different practicality, all of those things, all of a sudden, wait a minute, how do you know me? How do you know this about me? And God began in her heart to reveal his redemptive love to her. Perfect love reveals God's redemption. But I love something else about this story. There was not on the re only the redemption, the forgiveness, the realization of who Jesus was. There was something restorative about this story. You see, Jesus could have chosen at any time to say to those around him, I am the Messiah. 
He could have done it when he was 12 years old in the temple with all the teachers and the leaders of the temple. He could have said, I'm the Messiah. I'm the promised one. They probably, they might not have been surprised. Here's this child amazing them at his wisdom. If he had said, I'm the Messiah, they might have said, well, maybe we should take him into the temple. Maybe we should let him uh, grow and learn here and see if he really is the Messiah. He didn't do it then. He didn't do it when he called his disciples. He could have said, I'm the Messiah, follow me. But he simply looked and said, follow me. But this moment with this woman in an unexpected place, in an unexpected circumstance, in an unlikely moment in time, Jesus says to her, when she says, I know one day the Messiah will come. She had enough background there in religion to know that there was a promised one to come. She said, I know he's coming. And when he comes, he'll explain all these things to us. And he simply looked at her and said, I am the Messiah. What that must have done in her heart What must have happened at that moment when all the barriers, all the blinders, all the things that should have separated her from God, here is God himself in front of her showing her what perfect love looks like. The scripture in verse 28 and 29 says, The woman left her water pots. And ran back into the city and began to tell everyone there, you have to come see this man who told me everything I've ever done. She went through the city telling everyone something this woman did not have in her town, in her community, was credibility. And all of a sudden, she is coming and telling them, you got to come with me. You've got to hear what I just heard. God not only restored her In their relationship with him, he restored her in her community by giving her credibility. Many of the Samaritans of the city believed in him. Why? Because of the words of this woman and her testimony. God not only deals with drawing us to him, but he brings us to a place of restoration If you had seen our lives a few years ago, or maybe you run into someone that knew you years ago and look at you and they say, you're different. What happened? There is nothing any more powerful than your story of how you came to Christ and what Jesus has done in your life. I can tell you my story. I can tell you stories of people, of famous people, of People who have had great testimonies, but there is nothing like saying, I know what you mean. My life was a shambles. But when I met Jesus Christ, this is what happened. I gave my life to Christ when I was six years old. 
I heard somebody preach a sermon, and, and you know, I didn't want to go to hell. So, but I hit the altar when it was time to pray, and I just cried and cried like I was the worst sinner on the planet. The truth was, I just didn't want to go to hell. That sounded like an awful place. So, I figured I'd just take care of it now. And, you know, that was great, and it was my starting point in my relationship with Christ. But when I hit those teen years, I did like many of us do. I lost some of that perspective, and I began to question. And I began to, you know, push back a little bit about, well, you know, that's mom and dad's religion. That's, my dad was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. My grandmother was one of the earliest women to graduate from seminary. I mean, I had this line behind me, and it was like, okay, God, you know, I'll be the pianist. I'll be happy to do that. That'll be my contribution. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do a good job. Uh, just don't make me marry a preacher. <laughs> And then one of them showed up on the front doorstep, and I was like, okay, I could, I could take that one if, you, if that one's available. <laughs> I was willing to give God my life within parameters. You know, I'll, I'll serve you, God, as long as I can do it in this way. I'll give you my life, God, as long as, you know, it doesn't require too much. And, you know, if you'll let me set the parameters, then I'll be happy to be your follower here. And Jesus is like, no, that's not quite the way it works. This woman had a total change and encounter to the point that, like I came to, it was like, okay, God, whatever you want from me, I'm willing to do it. Perfect love opens the horizons. You see, when we've been boxed in, trying to figure out life, and then all of a sudden, it's like the sun coming. If you were here yesterday, Alex Suzor did such a great job sharing about her experience when they literally, she and her husband and another group of people, hiked the Grand Canyon from the North Rim to the South Rim in one day. 26 miles, and she was sharing about how when they started this journey, they had to start way before the sun came up. They had to get up like at 3 in the morning and started down into the Grand Canyon. And if you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, you know what an amazing place that is, but what a rugged terrain. They had to start down in the dark. And she talked about how when the sun started coming up over that canyon, and you looked at what was in front of you, and then you turned around and looked at what was behind you, the revelation of what the, the sunlight brought to that moment. And that's exactly what happened in this woman's heart. All of a sudden, she could see the horizons with the light that Jesus Christ was spreading into her life. She could look back and see where she had been, but look forward to something absolutely magnificent. You see, humans know how to give love, but God is love. These disciples that had taken off and gone to find food, they came back, you know, with their arms loaded up. They'd found Kroger or Aldi's or maybe the 7-Eleven, and they're like, okay, Jesus, we've got food. You can eat now. And he said, no, thanks. I'm not hungry. And they're like, what? Did somebody bring you food while we were gone? And he said, look, I have food to eat that you know nothing 
about. Because you see, even those that were following him the closest still didn't have the complete picture of what Jesus had opened on the horizons for them. They still didn't quite understand what God was opening up. But they would. And Jesus was patient enough with them to let them grow in that realization and to teach them along the way about God's perfect love. You see, God's love is unconditional. God's love is unlimited. And God's love is unending. Ephesians chapter 3, 17 says it like then, this, Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong, the safe place, the secure place to put down our roots that we will be totally anchored and firm and grow stronger in day by day is by putting our roots down in God's love. Romans 5, 7 says this, what a perfect picture of God's love. Now, most people would be willing to die for an upright person Though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners, while we were still walking that path to the well, Jesus was waiting. He had already prepared. He had already made the journey so that he could meet us and we could have an encounter with perfect love. Maybe you're at that place that you think, you know what? You don't know my life. You don't know what has brought me to this well today. You don't know what is behind me that I've had to deal with. You don't know what goes the way that other people treat me. But I tell you today, there is one who knows that, who knows your story, and he's reaching out to draw you in and says, there is something even greater than what you can think of. Quenching your thirst with a drink of cold water, I'm going to give you water to drink of. That's a supernatural water that you'll never thirst again. And the satisfaction will not be just on the surface, but it will be a satisfaction of the heart. And if you've never committed your life to him, I ask you today, take a moment. Think about his perfect love and how he has given himself as the sacrifice so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could know his love and we could be totally restored in our relationship with God even before we turned away from our sins. There's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can achieve on my own that will make that happen in my life. It's only because of God's perfect love. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today that while I was still contemplating what I was willing and not willing to give you, you stood there with arms wide open and said, I love you with an everlasting love. And I love you with an unfailing love. And I pray today, Lord, those that need to experience your perfect love, 
would you begin to just unfold your love to them in this moment? And Father, those that need to commit their life to you, that need to say to you, today I'm giving my life to you. I know where I've been, and I know the kind of love you're describing is where I want to be. So in the best way I know how, I'm committing my life to you today. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Would you stand with me this morning and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Sweetheart, thank you so much. Just a little bit before 4 o'clock this morning, I was up and um, I decided to just begin to look through because of Mother's Day and not for sentimental reasons, but just the way God created us and shaped us is totally fascinates me, how he created us male and female in his image. And I just began to think about all the women of the Bible, women who prayed to become mothers when they couldn't become mothers. I thought about adoptive mothers. I thought about mothers that were mothers real young and mothers that were mothers much later in life. But wherever God gifted you to become a mother, or maybe you're like some of those in the Bible and Becky mentioned at the first of this message that um, for 10 years, you know, we waited till God answered our prayer. Know this, your value is not because you gave birth to a child or you adopted a child. Your value is because you were created in the image of God and he loves you and that's why Christ sent his son into this world. I told you at the beginning of the message, Becky's selection of the character she was going to talk about just so amazes me, the Samaritan woman on Mother's Day. No one is too far, no one is too distant from God for God's love not to reach. And so I want to pray for you. I want to pray for this congregation this morning. And I want to thank you for being here. And if you committed your life to Jesus, or if you're going to pray with me in just a moment to commit your life to Christ, would you let us know here? You can email us at office at woodland.church, or you can email me, pastor at woodland.church. I have something I want to send you tomorrow to help you get started in your new life with Christ. So, Heavenly Father, in the precious and the holy name of Jesus, I thank you, Lord, that it's not because of what we've done, what we've contributed or not contributed, but, Lord, it's just simply because you chose to love us. And I thank you for your amazing grace to us in Christ. And I pray that everyone, man or woman, who has heard this message of hope and love today, what does it mean to be perfectly loved? God, you've shown us that in the Word today. And I pray that each of us will accept the gift of life you've offered to us in Jesus' name. I pray this. Amen, amen, and amen. I'm so glad you joined us today. Thank you for being a part of Woodland. Next Sunday morning, I start a brand new series titled The Holy Spirit in You as we get ready for Pentecost Sunday. God bless you. Have a wonderful Mother's Day. God bless you so much, family. I love you. I'm so glad you're here. Be sure you thank Becky for the message this morning.